Um, I, I think uh, I scared some folks in the first service, so let me uh, let me make a point to say, hey, my name's James McKendry. Um, David is not gone, okay? So if this is your first Sunday, please come back. Don't just listen to me up here. Uh, there was uh, somebody asked in the first service, I haven't seen David in a while. Is this the new guy, right? No, I, I'm not the new guy, okay? You're still in good hands. David is coming back. Uh, so at any rate, but I am happy to be here this morning um, and blessed to be able to, to bring the word to you. So let me pray for us real quick before we get into it. Heavenly Father, this is your word. Don't let me and my brokenness get in the way of it. And guide me through it. And hear me pray. Amen. So, um, we are in a series called um, uh, Flipping the Script, right? And we're in the book of James. And specifically, the title today is Temptation Should Lead to Memory. That's the, the title of our, our discussion today. And for those of you who've heard me before, this will be a conversation I will ask you to take part. Okay? I'm not a preacher, thus this is not a sermon. Okay? So, at any rate... Um, I am very passionate about the book of James because uh, my walk with Christ has required um, some extra rigor on my part to stay in line, I guess you could say. And the book of James I undertook to write on my heart. I have tried to memorize the entire book, right? Right now I'm halfway roughly through the chapter, the fourth chapter of James, right? Everything else I've got committed to memory. It's taken me like a year and a half, two years, okay, to do this, and I'm kind of stuck. But I don't tell you that today to say, hey, look at me, and isn't that impressive? I'm telling you that because I did this out of, it's the, in, in humility, I tell you this, out of necessity. Because the book of James is the bare bones, how are we to walk as Christians, as, as those who love Christ? It is straight, as I call it, punch you in the face truth, right? And that's what I needed to avoid the thing that we're talking about today, and that is temptation, all right? So the other reason I tell you that is I'm probably going to quote it today, uh, Jordan always tells me I need to slow down whenever I quote. I, I, I quote too fast. But the version that I quote may not be the one that is always up there on the screen. I apologize because I memorized it out of my Bible, and that's not your NIV version that you have in front of you. So just, uh, just a word. I apologize. It was a little bit different, but the, the meaning is behind it is going to be the same. So at any rate, um, let's look at the Scripture itself. I'm going to read from the NIV this time. This is James chapter 1, 13 through 18. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, my dearly loved brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us a new birth through the word of truth so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Okay, well, um, so I'm going to start out with a short story. So back around 1992-ish, I was uh, 10 years old. Okay, I'm dating myself a little bit. And there came a day, you know, growing up, we had six acres. Okay, most of it was mowed with a tractor, but there was 1.2 acres that was mowed with lawnmower. Now, up to that point, I had helped my dad by using the push mower, but I never had the opportunity to use the riding lawnmower, okay? I'm 9, 10 years old, just hadn't been trusted with that yet. So the day came where my dad came in and said, hey, do you want to mow the lawn? And I said, with the riding lawnmower? And he's like, yeah. I was like, yes, I do. This is going to be awesome, right? I'm big time now. So understand, though, this was not in the days of zero turns, okay? There were no zero turns then. This is in the days of snapper, right? Think Forrest Gump, the little rectangular circle, right? And then you got the mower, the engine behind you. Um, 
you got a clutch on one side and a brake on the other. And when you pull off the clutch and off the brake, whatever speed you were on, you're going that speed, right? There was no accelerator to ease into it, right? So at any rate, not only that, it was also in the days of no wireless headphones. There's no Wi-Fi, no wireless anything, okay? If you wanted to listen to music while you were mowing, you press one of the big square buttons in the top, and the thing popped out, and you take the cassette, and you slide it in there, right? And you listen to George Strait, Amarillo by Morning, as you're going down and mowing, okay? So that was the, the music and entertainment while you're mowing of the time. So you could get bored pretty easily when you're mowing, right? So <clears throat> my dad walked me through it. He said, okay, here's the deal. You know about this mower. You've watched me do it. You mowed a little bit. I'm going to be leaving, so it's all up to you, okay? So here's the ground rules. The safety switch in the seat, which usually on most mowers, when you get off of it, right, it turns off. Ours is broken. Like a, a 16 common nail was trying to make the, the contact, but it really wasn't working. So he said, just play like that doesn't work, okay? If you get off the mower, just shut it off first, right? Don't be bailing off of it because it's not going to stop. He said the other thing that he said, and this is important, you can cut the yard on speed one, two, he said, now, three on the straightaways, if you can keep it, your line straight, right? Because he grew up mowing with a combine, so straight lines were everything. He said, you can use up to speed three. Do not exceed speed three. He said, do not use four and five. And I was like, don't use four and five. Check, got it. Why not? And he said, uh, well, I told you not to use them. He said, but also, you're not ready to handle that, okay? Yeah, that, that's going to be a, moving a little too fast for you, and you're not ready to handle that. You know, I was also a really small kid. I may have weighed, like, 60 pounds at that age. I mean, it was tiny. So at any rate, he said, you're not ready to handle that yet. Just do as I tell you, four to five. No problem, Dad. So he leaves. I jump on the mower. I make the first round, doing good. I'm going down to one, take the corners on one, straightaways on two. And then I get, okay, got the hang of this. Now I'm going to switch over. And I go to three on the straightaways, right? And that's a lot of fun. But here's the thing about our yard. There were trees all over the place. There were bushes. There's a pile of bricks over here. There's the windmill in the back. There's a, the tank, a water tank tower. You got the swing set. You got the work shed. You got a bush over here and bushes around the house. There's a lot of obstacles. And the thing about obstacles on a mower whenever you're that age is it starts to become a game. How close can I get to it and turn at the last second, right? And on speed one, that's not fun at all because you're like, uh, uh, that's, you know, speed two, it gets a little more fun. Speed three, gets a lot more fun, right? And so pretty soon I went from only three on the straightaways to three through the whole yard, right? And so, man, I'm zooming along there. And then I looked over. I was like, I think my dad kind of, he doesn't appreciate my skills, right? He doesn't, he doesn't know what I got, you know? And I looked down there at that four, and I was like, how's he going to know? Kick it into four. And so now I'm zooming down through the yard. And what I noticed immediately was that my lines were like automatically already kind of doing this. But mainly when I took that first corner, I look over, and there's this, look back, there's this crescent moon of grass, right, that doesn't get cut. And I went, I'll come back, next pass, I'll get that, you know. So I go to the next turn, another crescent moon of grass, right. And so this repeats, and I, but I'm still having too much fun on four. I'm weaving in and out of the trees, right, haven't hit anything yet. We're doing good. And so I went, yeah, I mean, I got like Star Wars in the yard, right. It's like there are moons everywhere, okay, but I can handle this, kick it on up to five. Well, now... The moon's getting bigger, right? Solar system's growing. And uh, not only that, I'm starting to clip things, like start to clip the trees, my tires hanging on this. When I hit a root, and I'm so light and small, right, my butt's bouncing up off the seat, right, but I'm just having a heyday. And so I get done with the yard, except that there's moons all over the place, and I go, I'm going to go take a water break, come back out, clean these moons up. We're done, right? Good. No major damage to the mower. He'll never know the difference, right? The mower's already beat up anyway. 
So I go in to get the water, and I walk out in the yard, and there's my dad surveying the solar system, right? And he goes, he looks over at me. I was like, man, I'm so toast. And he said, what speed you cut it on? I said, five, sir. He was a cop, so I knew at this point. He's like a human lie detector. It was fruitless. I was like, five, sir. And he was like, I see that. Didn't say anything. He walks in the house. Resistance is futile, right? Don't run, okay? So you just turn, and I just follow him right in the house. I'm like, man, this is going to be bad, right? And my dad was always very fair and very just. He had two main rules. Do what I tell you to do. Don't lie to me. May God have mercy on your soul if you lie. Just always tell the truth, right? So I go in there, and he looks at me, and he does this terrifying wrist roll, right? And he goes, I told you not to mow anything faster than three. I was like, yes, sir. He said, that's what I said, right? Yes, sir. Why didn't you do that? I was like, you know, at the time, I, I, if, if Talladega Knights had been around, it was my inner Ricky Bobby, like, I want to go fast, right? But I was like, Dad, I, I, I have no excuse. I, I wanted to go fast. And he's like, you know why I told you not to do that? And I was like, yes, sir. And he goes, why is that? I said, because it, it makes moons in the grass. And he's like, yeah, no, yes, but no. He said, look, I told you that because... A, what you don't know about that mower is it's old, right? And he said, when you kick up to four and you take a curve, not only are you leaving your grass moons behind, he said, but also the mower deck shifts. He said, so you're actually cutting deeper into the grass. You're killing the grass, he said, on that one edge. And it's going to look terrible, right? Your grass can't survive. It's going to bake in the sun. He said, that's one piece. He said, the other thing is there's, there's the septic system in the back. If you don't miss it, he's like, it's not going to be a pretty sight whenever you knock the cap off of that thing in the back of the yard, right? He said, but aside from all that, he said, I told you that because the safety switch and the seat's broken. He said, if you kick it up to five and you hit a tree, he said, you'll fly off the front of the mower and it's going to be following you. And he said, and it could roll over you, cut your hand off, cut your foot off, kill you. He said, I I love you. I don't want anything to happen to you. That's why I told you to do that. But you disobeyed me. And, you know, what do you hang your head in shame? Yes, sir. And he asks that question that I, I used to hate. What do you think I should do? I mean, I don't know, uh, you know, let me fix the yard, okay? And so I'm like, Dad, I'll fix the yard. And he goes, yes, you will. You will absolutely do that. And at that point, um, I don't know where they went. They got taken. But he said, I'm going to help you. And I said, oh, I'll just go mow it. He goes, no. And he pulls out a pair of scissors. And he hands them to me. And I go, and I'm thinking about all those moons, right? And I'm like, and he goes, yep, have fun. So the next time I got on that mower, uh, I looked down at four and five, and my temptation led to memory, right, of being on my hands and knees, clip, 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 all through that entire yard, right? I learned a very valuable lesson. And so <clears throat> that's a lot like what we deal with when, when God has, the, the way he set all this up, basically, is that he said, hey, look, I'm sufficient. I am good. And, and you got to trust me, okay? Uh, you are free to operate from speed one to five. You have that freedom to choose. But what I'm telling you is you stay between one and three, it won't lead to your destruction. All the fulfillment and joy you need is right there between those speeds. The world's going to tell you different, but I promise you, if you just trust me, you're going to be fine within those speeds right there. So that brings us up to one of the first scripts that, that this verse is speaking to is that <clears throat> a lot of times we step outside of speed one to three and go on to four because we think there's life outside of that, that, that God is not completely sufficient and there's something better, okay? And 
part of that belief is that people think that that better thing out there is something God is dangling that, that we truly believe will bring us fulfillment and joy, and that he's dangling it out there just to tempt us to see if we're going to be obedient, right? So how, raise your hand if you ever heard that. God is tempting me. You ever heard that before? A couple of you, okay? And you may have felt that way before, but, but let's look at that verse again, right? So no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, for God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Pretty blatant and straightforward, right? God does not tempt, but a lot of people believe that, right? And so you think about it from this perspective. My dad didn't say cut on speed one, two, and three. Don't cut on four or five. But by the way, remember Asheville, the Texas Cyclone? Four and five is a lot like that, okay? It's a lot of fun, but you're not here to have fun. You're here to mow the lawn, so don't exceed those speeds. That's not at all what he said, and that's not what God's saying either. You think about it in a different perspective, you know, from that I know we have a lot of parents in the room. Would you knowingly, if, if your child, maybe you knew that, that your child is a little bit older, right, and they're tempted by something, or your, your child is younger, and you know that something could lead to their destruction, would you knowingly take that, whatever it is, and place it in their path just to see whether or not they will be obedient to you, even though if they are not obedient to you, it will lead to their destruction? Right, as a parent, I hope you're not going to do that. You're not going to intentionally put something out there that could lead to their destruction. And God doesn't do that either. So there's a, a, a pastor that I, I hear, he may, has this phrase that I love. And he says, a lot of times the world wants to make us believe that God's trying to rip us off. Right? But he's not trying to rip us off. He's trying to set us free. So... Let's go back to the Old Testament a little bit and look at it in, in Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 14. And this is God reaching out to his people and saying, hey, remember, remember me, remember what I've done for you, because if you don't, this is what will happen. So it says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, <clears throat> then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So throughout the Old Testament, you see this. God saying, hey, don't remember where you were at. You were in slavery under the Pharaoh in Egypt, right? Remember then in my abundant loving kindness, I made a way out of that for you. I brought you to this land. I fulfilled the promise I made to you. I brought you out of there. I gave you this land. Don't forget me and turn away from me because your source of strength is me and I am sufficient. And when you turn from me, you're going to weaken yourself as a nation, right? And you're going to be vulnerable to somebody else coming in and throwing you right back into slavery. Don't do anything that's going to take you back into slavery. And so in Deuteronomy 12, 28, there is something that, that he says, and this phrase is used throughout the Old Testament, and if you understand, if we really come to a deep understanding of what he's saying here, then we'll come to understand what sin is and how it affects us. So listen carefully to what he says here. He says, be careful to obey all these regulations I am giving you so that it may always go well with you and for your children after you. 
because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God, so that it may go well with you, right? I want you to note something. You didn't hear him say, hey, do these things that I command you, or I'm going to crush your soul, right? Like, I'm a giant bug zapper in the sky. The minute you step out on him, zap, you know, that's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is, hey, look, I'm your dad, and I love you, right? And, and if you realized how much I love you, and you realized how good I really am, then you would trust what I have for you, right? Now, he said, if you go your own, your own way, you're free to do that. You're one to five, speed one to five. But I'm telling you, I am good, I'm sufficient, and I'm right here between one and three. Four and five, there's no fulfillment there. I know it, it's going to taste good for a minute. It's going to be fun on that straightaway. But as soon as you start making turns, quality's going downhill, right? And it could lead to your destruction. Remember, Israel, I brought you out of slavery. Don't put yourself back into it. I'm your dad. I love you. So you fast forward from the Old Testament. That's him talking to his children, the Israelites, right? Fast forward to the New Testament, and God is sending the same message. In the face of temptation, in the face of everyday life's trials and tribulations, what he's saying is, is, hey, now remember, you were bought at a price. You were not your own. I've made provision for you through the cross, right? So you're free to make these choices, and I love you, and I know what's best for you, and I, and I know that thing out there looks tempting, and if you step out there to go try it, I'm going to discipline you, right, because I love you, and I'm going to bring you back to me. But if you continue to go that way, then you're going to put yourself back into the slavery of sin, and that is why I came and died on a cross to deliver you from it. Don't put yourself back into it. And that's where <clears throat> I think a lot of us get sin wrong is that we have this concept that what sin is, is God's rule, follow the rule. If you don't follow the rule, God punishes us. Right? That's that legalistic view uh, that a lot of people in Christianity and out think that God punishes us for our sins. What he's saying is, right, follow what I have laid out for you. Stay within one and three because I'm sufficient. Because if you go outside of that, it's not going to go well with you. The sin itself is the punishment. When you sin, you willfully separate yourself from me, and that is the punishment. I don't punish you. You're punishing yourself. Does that make sense? So, ultimately, what James is getting at in this passage is, who is your master, right? Are you a slave and bondservant of Jesus Christ under the freedom uh, of, the, of the law and under the freedom of grace, or are you a slave to sin? Is that your master? So God doesn't tempt us, but he does allow us to be tested to show his glory to those around you. A lot of people got your, their eyes on you. They know that you're a follower of Christ, right? And so they're watching to see how you react and how you operate on a daily basis. In the face of temptation, what actions do you take, right? And so he, he knows that trials will come, and Christ laid that out. Troubles will come, but he allows that to affect us, he doesn't step in because he trusts that we will trust him and that we will trust him through it and that other people on the outside looking in will go, what does that person know that I don't know that they could resist in the face of temptation in that manner, right? What sets us apart? So he allows us to be tested, but he himself does not tempt us. So that leads us to the 
next script that we're going to flip a little bit here, and that is um, raise your hand if you've ever heard this. The devil made me do it. Okay? You heard it, right? Okay. Uh, I think we've all heard it. May have said it one time or two, right? The devil made me do it. It wasn't me. Well, so understand what Christ said about the enemy is that he is the liar and, a, and the father of liars, right? And it's been well said that one of the best lies out there is one that has a little bit of truth mixed in with it. So the next phrase, raise your hand if you heard this, the devil is tempting me. Yeah, you've heard it, right? Okay. And how many of you ever felt like the enemy is tempting you? All of us, right? Well, it's because we all have been tempted by the enemy. Okay. But we have to be careful because there is truth and falsehood in that statement. We got to be careful lest we give the enemy too much credit. Right, that we credit him for our every single stumble, right? Because that's not true. In in a way, and we'll get to that in a second. It is, but those individual moments, as 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 we'll explain here, he doesn't deserve the credit for all of those things, right? There's another source. And so, how many of you have ever heard of the demon of pride, or the demon of lust, or the demon of right something like that? You ever heard of that before? Okay, so there's there's that belief out there that oh. It wasn't, it, it wasn't anything, it was just it was the demon of lust that overtook me and, and I couldn't control myself. It was the demon of pride which caused me to react in the way that I did. It was the demon of anger, right? And so what we're doing is we're chalking up the responsibility for the action to this over here. Well, this, this, the devil made me do it. The demon made me do it. And ultimately, folks, it's, it's, demons exist. Don't get me wrong, okay? The enemy exists, definitely, and he's active. But the reality is, is it's not biblical to say that, hey, that, that demon of lust caused me to do it. No, what it is, it's, it's just pride. It's just lust. It's just jealousy and selfishness and envy and cynicism. They are byproducts of a broken world that we created when we bought into the original lie. And the original lie was what? Hey, I know God told you to operate between one and three, but I'm telling you right now, this apple is a lot of fun on four and five. The original lie is God is not sufficient. He is not good, right? God is not good. His word is not true. Disobeying him is not that big a deal. Those are the original three lies he told. It's the same lies he tells today when we are tempted, right? But God is not trying to rip us off, right? He's trying to set us free. So, if we want to find the greatest source of temptation on a daily basis that we all deal with, all of you saw it this morning probably if you looked in the mirror, okay? And that's the place we need to start. My, my uncle, Stan Propes, phenomenal man of God, hardworking man, big, big guy, right? He passed away very early, um, and his, his son, my cousin Levi, took him to the hospital. And Levi said he got out of the car, he threw the seatbelt back, he, he got out and he looked across at him. And he grabbed his shirt and he goes, I grow weary of this encumbrance. He's talking about his body, right? And while he was taken early, Uncle Stan got it right, okay? This thing that we live in, this vessel, right, that carries our spirit is an encumbrance. It is something that we have to deal with on a daily basis. The blessing behind it is that, yes, we wouldn't be able to experience all the creation that God has given us here if we didn't have this body to appreciate it. But at the same time, it is constantly trying to drag us down the road that our spirit does not want to go. Paul says it well in Romans 7, 21 through 25. 
He says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, in my flesh, a slave to the law of sin. So the Greek word for body or flesh that's used here is sarx, S-A-R-X. So think is the root sarcophagus, right? So something that carries a a vessel that carries a, a dead body, right? So sarx, the definition of that as used in the New Testament in the Greek is this, the sinful state of human beings often presented as a power in opposition to the Spirit. And so in recognizing temptation and what is brought upon us when we deal with it. And we will all deal with it. We'll deal with it before midnight tonight, probably multiple times, right? All of us in some way, shape, or form. That constant distinction between the flesh and the spirits, what Christ talked about when he came upon the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they're leaning up against the tree, and he says, hey, stay awake and pray, lest you fall into temptation, because what? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. There's that distinction again, right? And so, because the flesh is always is in opposition to the Spirit, we are always going to be in a fight, right? So, how does this pertain to James? So, let's look at it carefully. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires, right? You hear that? Not enticed by the demon of lust, enticed by his own evil desires. See, that enemy loves to take credit for every stumble, but the reality is he has this ally, this flesh, right? That when the flesh gets in trouble, we'll get to it in a minute, he comes to its aid, right? So the old saying goes, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is to convince the world he didn't exist. I would say a close second is convincing most believers out there that he's responsible for every single stumble, right? And that it doesn't fall back on us and our own responsibility and responsibility for our actions. So later in James, he's going to say that the enemy is a coward and that whenever you resist him, he's going to flee from you. And that's so important to remember because obviously that's what we're called to do in the face of temptation is resist him, right? But the first thing we got to overcome is the flesh, right? So let's look at the second part of the verse. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Do you see this progression? Look carefully at it. Analyze the progression as it goes. If it sounds familiar, it's because if you look at the path of addiction, it is literally this progression. And what is addiction? Ultimately, at its root of anything. It's the thought that that thing, whatever it may be, is going to bring the joy and fulfillment that you're looking for. At least that's the first thought, right? So your desire leads you there, okay? One progression of addiction, uh, there, there's multiple different definitions or whatever, but a simple one is three levels, sensitization, desensitization, hypofrontality, right? Basically put, the sensitization, hey, I see that thing out there, I want to go taste that, I want to be a, a part of that, I want to take part in that, whatever it is, right? So here's my own evil desire. 
Now, after desire has conceived, and what does it take to conceive? It takes action, right? So now we go out and we take action. Desire has conceived with action, and now we've got sin. Well, now there's this long road of sin, right? And what is it? During that time, if you feed something, what happens? It grows, and if you starve it, it dies, right? So think of a, a baby tiger cub, right? Cute, cuddly tiger cub. You hold it in your arms, you can feed it with a bottle. It's safe, harmless, and everybody's going, oh, it's so cute, right? Give it two years and feed it. See if you're going to hold it in your arms, right? You're not going to be able to handle that tiger cub anymore. He's going to be 800 pounds, and he might be present for your last supper, right? You, 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 but we always fall prey to that. We think when we leave from one to three, we think we can just hop over into speed four, no problem. But what happens is we, we get in there, and it gets moving too fast, and we start running into things and slamming into things, and we can't handle it. But we always, I mean, think about Adam and Eve, right? Who delivered the message? The serpent, right? They believed that they could control the serpent, right? And sin always presents itself as something we believe we can control if we step outside of what God has for it. Like, hey, I can do this. And so this pathway of addiction, same thing, you get into the sensitization, now you're feeding it, and you become desensitized to it, right? Whatever that may be. And you keep wanting more, and, and then you want, you know, uh, one drink doesn't work, two drinks now, two drinks doesn't work, five drinks, okay? Or whatever it might be, and you become desensitized, and you continue to grow until hypofrontality occurs where your brain literally rewires itself. You cause yourself brain damage to where the only thing that brings joy and fulfillment in life is whatever that object is that you've placed as your own personal God, that you've replaced God with. And you literally cannot find joy outside of it. That is the physiological representation of what we're seeing here. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. And what is death in this realm? It is eternal separation from God. Because we haven't trusted that one to three is sufficient. Four and five might be where we want. So ultimately, the danger of sin is that we are meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way, to simplify it. And that sin, once committed, we, we've got to be reminded of this, is that it's never free. It's always going to cost us something, right? In this world, we think we're going to get away with it, or we will get, we'll, we'll hop over to four and five, and we'll be able to clean up the yard afterward, no problem. Nobody will know the difference. We'll escape unscathed, right? But nine times out of ten, dad comes home, de- comes home early, right? And we feel the consequences of our actions, And thank goodness that we do because it brings us back into speed one through three, right? But the beauty of being a follower of Christ is that the eternal consequences of those actions have been paid for on the cross, right? We'll feel the worldly, but the ultimate consequences have been paid for. So that's what James talks about later when he talks about living under the law of freedom. And there's something very distinct here. If you were living under the law of freedom... Peter says in 1 Peter 2.16, he says, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Right? Don't think that just because you're covered that you can operate all the way to five and no problem. Live as a slave to God, not as a slave to sin. And so let's look at the rest of the verse. Don't be deceived, my dearly loved brothers. Every generous act and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with him, there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. 
By his own choice, he gave us a new birth by the message of truth so that we would be the first fruits of his creatures. So it happens like this. As we come to know Christ and we move beyond, we, we come to trust that he being the father of lights, right, every generous act and perfect gift does come from him. And we come to trust in that. We go from being a regular attender at church to this committed believer, right? Or as A.W. Tozer says, you go from the intellectual level of knowing Christ, you, you hear the story, you believe the story, you're good. You move from there to the theological, you start to dive in deeper into the story, right? And then you go from intellectual to the theological, you go from regular tender to committed believer to the step that Christ, where he wants you to be, where he knows the fullness of joy is, and that is being a submitted follower of him. Because there's a huge difference between being committed and submitted, right? And that's where we move from the theological into that mystical, intimate relationship with Christ. When we get, as we go along that route, and, and we're arriving at these different destinations in our walk, one of the things that we come to know is that he is good and that we come to trust in his goodness. That speed one through three is sufficient and four and five is death and destruction. And we trust that and we believe it. There's Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy and in your right hand are pleasures forever. When we truly come to believe that and trust it, then when temptation comes, We'll go, hey, I know, I know full well that what he's laid out for me is sufficient and I don't need to go out there to find joy and fulfillment elsewhere, right? But we're still trapped in this body of death for a time, right? And the spirit is willing, as Christ said, but the flesh is weak. And as long as we are a part of this world, the world knows, because this world is not our home, the world is going to constantly war against our flesh in order to make us stumble. It's just going to happen. Right, Like I said earlier, it's going to happen before you leave here today, maybe. And when we come to know and understand that God is good and we come to trust that and we start to win in the face of temptation, when we start to win against our flesh, that whole the devil's tempting me thing, that's when the enemy's going to come flying in as an ally to, his, uh, to the flesh over here to help aid in, in making us stumble to get us back in the cycle of fear, shame, and guilt, because that's where he wants to keep us, right? So I'll close with this, and, and we got to remember that everything we do as Christ followers matters, right? We're not here to be receptive. We're here to learn, to be active, to be equipped, to go out on mission, to bring others to Christ, to let them know about the love and forgiveness, because rest assured, in the face of temptation, we will either serve as a great example or we will serve as a horrible warning. There is no middle ground. So as we leave here this week, when temptation comes, and it will, I pray that your temptation will lead to a remembrance that your Father in Heaven loves you, that He can be trusted, and that His goodness is there and beyond anything we could possibly comprehend. Always remember, God is not trying to rip you off. He is trying to set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, be with these folks as they leave this place, all of us. Guide us, as we know this world's going to bring plenty of challenges, Lord. We just pray that we always trust in your goodness and what you have for us, and we choose you. In your name we pray. Amen.